The Last Words of Emmanuel Pretty John by Jonathan Pinnock. Alison Fish, midwife. He were a funny wee body, that one. Came out of his man with a head full of blonde curls and a big beaming smile on his face. Nary a scream, nary a whimper. Nothing. They just looked at me with them big round eyes, smiling. And you know, I think all of us in the delivery room just stopped and stared at him for a moment. Then we caught each other and sniggered like we was kind of embarrassed. We weren't a creepy sort of smile, though. We were a good little smile. It made you glow inside. Made you feel the world wasn't such a bad place after all. Made you think there was hope. Whatever happened to the little dog? Jack Hopkins, neighbour. I tell you what, as soon as I saw them move in, I said to Doreen, remember Doreen, I said, there goes our peace and quiet bloody thing will keep us awake the whole time with it screaming and wailing because that's what they like, aren't they, Doreen? They're waking up and wanting its feed and whatever else they do. But the odd thing was, we never heard a peep out of him. Quiet as a mouse he was, wasn't he, Doreen? <laughs> they only stayed in for a year or two, then them foreigners moved in. We, we could tell a thing or two about them, couldn't we? Oh, yes. <laughs> Miss Jemima Phillips, primary school teacher. Well, of course I remember him. No, I don't. He wasn't what you'd call an ordinary pupil. When his mum brought him in and introduced him, he looked me firmly in the eye and slowly shook my hand. And he smiled. And I was taken aback by the sheer... I know this sounds really odd, by the sheer intensity of it. Does that make sense? His mum took me to one side and explained he hadn't spoken a single word or tried to write anything during his entire life. They'd obviously had him checked out, and he wasn't deaf or anything. He just didn't seem to want to say anything. He understood instructions perfectly, and he was a very obedient child. But he was completely mute. I told her that we got all sorts there, and most of them turned out all right in the end, so not to worry. <laughs> then she gave me this odd look as if to say, you don't know the half of it. It took a few weeks of trying to get him to communicate with me before I realised what she meant. It wasn't so much that he didn't want to say anything. It was more that he didn't feel the need to. Harry Philpott, school teacher, retired. Yeah, well, I remember him all right, bloody nuisance. Well, can you imagine it? A whole classroom full of kids, with me trying to get them to focus on getting their sodding GCSE coursework done, and there's Moonface in the middle of them, just smiling beatifically like he's fucking Jesus. <laughs> if I'd been allowed to, you know what I'd have done? I'd have thrashed little bugger senseless. Never did me any harm. But you can't do that sort of thing anymore, can you? Political correctness gone mag. That's what it is. World's gone bonkers, if you ask me. Polly Wilson, classmate. We all thought he was a bit of a freak, to be honest. I mean, we'd flick things at him and he'd just turn around and smile at us. Weird or what? But he wasn't a 
was odd because after a while we all sort of accepted him and there was always a gang of kids around him. He was just a good guy to be around, I suppose. Yeah. And he didn't half wind up that Boston Philport. <laughs> Drove the old bit to a breakdown, apparently. <laughs> that was just so cool. Yeah, pretty face was good value just for that. Simon Hornchurch, headmaster, well, he didn't exactly add to the school's exam rating, did he? Although he did manage a GCSE in art, it was old, uh, what's his name, the head of English who had the idea, although it started off as a joke, uh, we put his whole life up as a sort of conceptual art project. Uh, got him an A star. <laughs> I wonder if he realised what was going on, he's a strange boy. I, I often wondered if there was some kind of abuse going on at home, although he always seemed happy enough. Of course, he didn't stay off his GCSEs because there wasn't much he could really do, and we did wonder what was going to happen to him, so it was all quite a surprise when things turned out the way they did. Statement of Edwina Pritchard, mother. We loved our son Emmanuel deeply, and I am as devastated by recent events as my late husband would have been. I would ask, however, that my request to be left in peace is respected. Eric Jones, self-styled cult survivor and webmaster of SilentGabrielIsAnEvilBastard.com <laughs> Those swine wrecked my life. Before I joined them, I had a job. I had a wife. I had access to my kids. More than that, I had self-respect, but a year with them and I was a raving nutter. Reduced to living on the streets, you would not believe some of the things I saw. And that silent Gabriel, he should be strung up for some of the things he'd done. Just ask him how much he's making out of this next time you see him, but you won't get an answer. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> Extract from Interview with Stella Crumshaw, author of Cult of Silence, Emmanuel Prettyjohn and the Quietless Phenomenon. <laughs> it wasn't Prettyjohn himself who set up the quietness movement. Obviously, that would have been impossible. <laughs> he was just the figurehead. The guy behind it all was Alex Templeman, or Silent Gabriel, as he would later style himself. Templeman was standing behind Pretty John in the queue at the Dole office when they met. Pretty John was standing there just smiling at everyone, and Templeman noticed that instead of getting angry and frustrated with him, the people there rushed around trying to help. I'm pretty sure Templeman must have felt the power of the famous smile as well because he wrote about the in incident in a brief memoir shortly afterwards. In this document, Templeman states that the meeting with Pretty John was the turning point in his life. He realized that what was wrong with the world was not that we didn't talk to each other enough, but that we talked to each other too much. <laughs> there was just too much pointless connectivity. <laughs> At that point, he writes, I resolved never to say or write another word ever again. From then on, he says, I decided to become quiet. When this memoir was posted on the internet, it had an extraordinary effect. Retired, 
the lonely and the needy all came to seek them out. Pretty John, the new messiah, and Templeman, his evangelist. I don't doubt that many of them got something out of it, some kind of comfort, because there certainly was something about the man. I know the one time I met Pretty John, I did feel some kind of inner glow, and I went away with a spring in my step that I couldn't really understand at all. It wasn't long before they had to find accommodation for all the new members of the cult, for that is what it had become. So it became necessary to raise funds, and this is where things began to get a little murkier. The easiest way to raise money was simply to ask all the members of the cult to pledge a percentage of their earnings. And this is what originally happened. One assumes Silent Gabriel suspended his vow long enough to get the message across. <laughs> the precise point at which this changed from being a percentage of all earnings to all their worldly goods <laughs> isn't clear. There were soon rumours of curious extravagances, Swiss bank accounts, money laundering, and so forth. Harry Stump, proprietor of Southside Limousines Limited, is a lovely guy, Mr. Gabriel, one of our best customers. Always went full of full pimped out spec, never cut any corners, always paid on the nail, never demanded credit, never asked for discount, the perfect customer, terrific guy, a great sense of humour, too. <laughs> Jody, well beloved, former cult member. Well, it was a kind of weird time for me, you know. I mean, my life was like totally fucked, you know. But those quiet guys like turned it around for me, made me respect myself. Sure, I had to give them everything I owned. But like they said, money's just all about banks talking to each other. And when we're quiet, we don't like, need them to talk anymore. I mean, like, I didn't really understand what they were saying, but like, whatever. So, every day we spent like hours in the meeting hall just being quiet. And it was like really cute. And sometimes Emmanuel would come in and smile at us and everything would be like really groovy and we'd all smile at each other and feel really peaceful. And then sometimes Silent Gabriel would invite one of us into his room for some one-to-one -one tuition, which was all kind of weird. He had a rough beard. And <laughs> I found him kind of gross, so I'm like doing Buddhism now. <laughs> it's cute. Alex Templeman, a.k.a. Silent Gabriel.
Brownie Fairchild, mother of cult member. I'm not saying that everything Eric Jones says is true. We have certainly had our disagreements, mainly in the area of presentation. I mean, some of the stuff on that website of his is completely beyond the pale. I don't know how he gets away with it sometimes. But let's just say that when all this blew up, I wasn't a bit surprised. Fortunately, when she joined, Tamara didn't have access to her trust fund, so the blighters haven't got their stinking mitts on that yet. I just hope that Tam's got enough mouse to work out which way the wind is blowing. Apparently, the bus stop between Mr. Pretty John and Silent Gabriel, or whatever he calls himself, was quite public. From what I've heard, he just sort of glowered at him. <laughs> I didn't know he could glower. I thought all he ever did was smile. But it must have meant something pretty bad. I tried calling time on her mobile, if only to say, I told you so. But of course, she hasn't got it anymore. And she probably wouldn't answer me anyway. I do miss her awfully. Inspector Frobisher, Northampton CID. Uh, we have been trying to get a statement from any existing members of the religious organisation known as the Quiet Movement to cover the period on or around the 17th of June 2012. I would, however, go so far as to say that there is, quite literally, a conspiracy of silence <laughs> around the place, and that all attempts so far to obtain said statement have been completely unproductive. Inquiries are continuing... Mitzi Fantoni, emergency call centre operative. I was the one who took the call. It was a really strange voice. I said, fire, police or ambulance, as usual. But all I could get out of the man was a sort of <laughs> noise. I repeated the question, but the answer didn't make any more sense than the first one. So I said, is there something wrong with you? And he just said, Of course, now I realise he was probably trying to say he'd been poisoned. But I suppose if you've never said a word in your life before, it's a bit hard to start with that. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm the one who heard the last words of Emmanuel Prettyjohn. I guess it was me that heard the first ones as well. Funny that. <laughs>